0: All right, good evening, everybody. How's everybody doing? All right, don't everybody answer once. Getting a tattoo? Oh my gosh, I remember those days. I was 12, getting little glitter tattoos. Yeah, whatever. Huh? Yes. Yes, we're getting history of this. Um, Before we get started tonight um i've been going through some training uh at work so if you guys don't know what i do i'm a, an engineer for a salt plan i got 12 mechanics that work under me and i've been going through leadership training and one of the things actually i feel like all of it's just copywritten from the bible but one of the big things that hit me uh there was a statement it was feedback by action so essentially going out seeing the actions that they're doing and giving them feedback and as a leader that's important to go out see what they're doing Letting them know, hey, this is where you need to be doing better and blah 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 um, it 's really how to hold people accountable, um, so I do have a little challenge when we 're doing and it 's nothing against you know who 's doing announcements and stuff, but I want to challenge you guys when you 're doing announcements, start trying to draw out of people you know what god 's speaking to them, you know where they 're reading um, it 's a small accountability piece, but I remember back when I was in senior high that was a big thing. If I was sitting here and I didn't have anything to share about where I was reading, you know, God was really gripping my heart, saying, "Why don't you have anything to share?" Um, and it was whether I just read out of duty or I didn't read at all. Um, so just something that I was thinking about. You know, those are you know daily actions that we can let slip. And I think this is a good platform to hold you uh, hold you guys accountable. Um, so, anyways, so we're going to continue our series, seeing through God's eyes. And like I said, we're going to be looking at different topics and how God sees them. Um, And more specifically, um, how those topics are used in our lives personally and how God sees them um, go go through our lives. So by way of introduction, uh, if you guys will follow along, uh, it says a right heart attitude is very important to God. I think we would all agree with that. Uh, This fact resonates in the types and pictures that God impresses on the family dynamic. Uh, And ask yourselves, how well does it go for you when you obey any authority in your life with a bad attitude? With the bad attitude, okay? I guess there's only one bad attitude. If you obey your parents or do something with a bad attitude, how well does it go for you? It doesn't go real well. You end up doing what you didn't want to do. You have a bad attitude and nobody's happy. Now, let's go one step further. How often do you proactively do something? You go out of your way to do something with pure motives. So not just obeying what you're told, but going above and beyond and actually doing something. Not waiting for... Your parents to tell you to do something. Actually do something for the right motives, not for what you can gain. The Bible says, Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. How often do you guys come in contact with different opportunities and situations that you know you ought to be doing that, but for for whatever reason or motivation in your heart you choose not to? Or you come in contact with something that's good, and you do it but with false motive, an ulterior motive. The context of this entire chapter, James chapter four, where that verse is found, is a deep, intimate relationship with God. The result of this type of relationship with God will generate service to God, and this is the key, motivated by your love for God. It is very important to understand that we can do the right things with the wrong motives, which displeases God every time. What is your why behind your action every single day? So I want you guys, everybody's got a study sheet, I want you to unfold it in half and flip it over, and I want you, we'll spend like two minutes, write out a typical day. It could be today, it could be a day when you have school, a day when you don't have school. I want you to start from when you wake up and run through your day. Everything you do, be specific. You wake up, You what's the first thing you do? You go brush your teeth, eat breakfast. What are, what are things that fill your day? And I want you to write it out from start to finish. What is your what does a typical schedule look like in your life? Sometimes it can be hard and you look back and you're like, man, I really don't do anything. <laughs> At least that's sometimes with me. And then you start thinking, gears start turning. I mean just you can even think of today. You can be vague or specific. It's I would challenge you to be specific, but Whenever you get finished with that, you can flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. all right 15 20 more seconds it's nothing i'm going to collect you can use abbreviations whatever just something to something to jog your memory of what you do in a typical day and we will be going to ephesians chapter six it's going to be our anchor passage for the night i'm not going to spend too terribly much Time in it. Alright, everybody flip over to Ephesians chapter 6. If you didn't finish, just kind of extrapolate it out when we. We'll come back to this uh, at the end. So, Ephesians chapter 6. Some of you guys still writing frantically, making sure you get it all down. All right, follow along in verse 5. It says, Paul talking here, Servants, be obedient to them that are your masters, according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in singleness of heart, as unto Christ. And then verse 6, Not with eye service, as men pleasers, but as the servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. We touched on this a little bit last week. You know, there's seven wills that God has for your life, and one of them is that you serve him with pure motives. And that's the title of tonight's message. Right, doing the will of God from the heart okay that's that's your motivation verse 7 with good will doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatsoever good thing any man doeth the same shall he receive of the Lord whether he be whether he be bond or free. So it is God's specific will. If somebody comes up to you and asks you what does God specifically want me to do? one of the things he wants you to do specifically individually is serve him with a pure heart. Have pure motives in what you're doing. And we're going to look at what that looks like. But that's something specifically God calls out in the Bible that's black and white. And I'll tell you, the ma- majority of the Bible is black and white. All right, it's true. But you were, to ha- we're to have pure motives in what we do. So what does that mean? Number one, a right heart attitude. All right, so heart attitude. And I love this description or the definition. The true motivation behind your decisions, behavior, conversations, thoughts, etc., And like in the introduction, it's why we do what we do. You know, and I want you guys to be thinking about that list that you guys put in the back. Like I said, we'll come back to that. But there's a reason you guys do everything in your life. You know, you guys aren't robots. You don't just blindly go through your life. You do something because either A, it makes you feel good. Somebody asked you to do it. You're trying to please somebody. You're trying to improve yourself. There's a reason behind what we do. We think through those things. Alright, so the first check mark, your motivation determines what you truly serve. Not who, what. Any of you guys know Matthew 621? For where your heart is? No, for where your treasure is, there where your you guys are confusing me. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. So where's your treasure? Where's your heart? What when you make your decisions during the day, where's your heart drawing you? What's your treasure? What makes you feel good? What gives you fulfillment? What motivates you? Flip over to Galatians, just a couple pages to your left. Chapter 1. Your, mo- your motivation, your heart attitude determines what you truly serve. Verse 10. For do I now persuade men or God? God. Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. See, this with God is very black and white. We're not to do things to just serve men. And it's kind of backwards when you think about it like that. You know, because God calls us to what? Love people, right? So you're like, well, shouldn't I do things to please men? Is that the context of what's going on here? No, when you're doing things to please men, you're doing things so you don't get persecuted. You're doing things to help people feel better. You're really not doing these things because you care about somebody. You know, think of friends that you really don't want to offend because you want to please them. But really, what what are you doing? Come on, somebody, what what are you doing if you're just giving somebody words to please them to help? What are you What are you essentially doing? Deceiving yourself, you're deceiving them. You're sending them straight to hell. Is that really loving that person? No. Look down in verse twenty three. But they had heard only... So this is Paul. He goes through all the context of what he does. He's not a, man, a men pleaser. And look at the product. That, but they they had heard only that he which persecuted us. So Paul, he persecuted these people. And now he's coming around talking about Jesus. Persecuted us in times past. Now preacheth the faith which once he destroyed. And they glorified God in me. That ought to be our motivation. That's, that's what Paul's heartbeat was. It was to get glory... From God it was to give glory to God no matter what the cost didn't he wasn't trying to please men. His heart was with the Lord. his motivation was the Lord. your motivation determines what you truly serve and we're not going to flip over to first Thessalonians 2: four but it talks about God allowing Paul to be trusted with the Bible so he preached for God not as a man, man pleaser. so think about this do you think Paul would have been and this is an easy question do you think Paul would have been successful had he done? Had he done it to please men. He probably would have had a much easier life though, wouldn't he? You read his his, uh, testimony of being shipwrecked and robbed and beaten with all these stripes and and in prisons, all these things that he went through. Did he do those things to please men? No, he was getting the complete opposite. He was doing those things to please God. And it's very sobering to read Paul's testimony because we're not faced with stuff like that. But we still cowered out. I still cowered out. And why? Satan's very good at what he does. He has a lot of distractions. He has a lot of things that want to take our heart. He has a lot of things that we want to put our treasure in. And all those things are going to go away. Number two, God greatly cares about our motives. I want you to flip over to Hebrews chapter 4. I love this progression. Hebrews chapter 4, you you see something very uh, intimate and sweet about God through this. So the first check mark: nothing is hidden from God. We would all agree with that, but look at how God describes it in the Bible. Verse 13 says, Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So God can see everything. Everything is naked and open unto him. There is no way we can hide from him. There are no amount of clothes we can put on that would not allow him to see our heart. He sees everything. So with that in mind, flip over to Proverbs chapter 21. This verse rocked me this last week because I've never seen it in this light. We all know God is omniscient. God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. He knows everything. But I love verse 2. He's still personal. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord pondereth the hearts. It's a very cool word to use there, ponder. And I looked it up. It means to weigh in the mind, to consider and compare the circumstances and consequences of an event, to examine. So think about us. We're little peons walking around this earth, and God is so massive. And he takes time to ponder, not just look, not just see, because he can see everything, but he ponders. He examines our hearts. Why does he do that? Why does God do that? He knows. He knows the decisions we make. He knows where our heart's at. He knows our desires. And I'll be honest, I don't really have a great answer just beside the fact that God loves us that much. He wants That he is still understanding us. That he still wants to have a relationship with us. That he's still pondering us and he cares about everything that we're doing. You know, I picture, and I know this is very corny and probably slightly blasphemous, but I picture him up in in heaven, you know, with his legs curled and his arms like this, just watching us. Just pondering our hearts. Seeing what we're doing. Why we're doing what we're doing. That, to me, blows my mind. Because he already knows everything. He's already everywhere. But he still, he ponders our hearts. He takes that time to watch what we're doing, to see what we're doing, to see why we are doing what we're doing. He cares that much about us. He doesn't have to do any of this. I just think that that's incredible. He ponders our hearts. Pondereth daily, ETH, for those of you who've been in a class with Pastor Rory, to weigh in the mind. He thinks about us. We're on his mind. To separate that from... Him being omniscient and omnipresent is very hard for me to wrap my mind around. So chew on that a little bit. But he ponders our hearts. Nothing is hidden from God, but he cares about every single detail, and he takes that time out to soak it in. All right, the next one. God uses our hearts to test us. God uses our hearts to test us. Can I get three volunteers to read Sam? Go to Psalm 7-9. Timmy. Go to Proverbs 17:3 and Noah Jeremiah 17:10. The rest of us go to 1st Chronicles 28. Samuel in Psalm 7. Yep. Alright, go ahead and read that. Well let the wickedness of the wicked come to an end, but establish the just. For the righteous, for the righteous, God tryeth the hearts and reins. He trieth the hearts and reins. So not only does God see our hearts, not only is he pondering them, but he's trying to get the most out of them. He's trying them, he's working them. All right, it's like your muscles, when you work out, you're trying your muscles. You're you're flexing them, you're working them out. God wants the most out of us that he can. He wants us to be the best that we can be. He wants us to be at our highest potential. And you know, I think of it as a parent looking at their kid. They want the best for them. They want, to be, they want them to be the best that they can be. And it's the same thing with God. You guys in here have a ceiling that is higher than you guys will ever see. Then you guys can fathom. And God wants you guys to hit that ceiling. God wants you guys to do as much as you can. So you'll be put in circumstances where he tries your heart. Where he's trying to bring you to a point of decision are you going to serve me and take one step further in your faith or are you going to give in to the the lust of the eyes lust of the flesh pride of life things that satan is again so good at throwing in front of us proverbs 17 3 the finding pot is for silver and the furnace for gold but the lord tricketh the hearts trieth Trieth. try i'm like man that's a new word tricketh he tricks he's deceiving and tries you know no, he tries your hearts again, and God mentions that over and over. Jeremiah seventeen ten. I, the Lord, search the heart; and try the reins, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. So, would you say our heart's very important to God? He searches our heart. He tries our heart. He tricks our heart. <laughs> he's very involved with our heart. He ponders it. He looks at it. And he's, I, I can't. I can't understand it because it's like it's almost like he's reasoning in his mind, how can I get the most out of them? How can I try them the best? How can I put them in a situation that will allow them to go further in their faith? God's very interested in you. He's very interested in your heart and why you do what you do because that's what's going to allow you to go further. You can only serve on duty so long before you get burnt out. It's not sustainable. Your motive's got to be right. And We're in 1 Chronicles 28, verse 9. And thou, Solomon, my son, so God talking here, know thou the God of thy father and serve him with a perfect heart and with a willing mind. For the Lord, here it is again, searcheth all hearts and understandeth all the imaginations of the thoughts. If thou seek him, he will be found of thee. But if thou forsake him, he will cast thee off forever. God searches the hearts. He understands all the imaginations of your thoughts. Everything that you're contemplating, every vain imagination that you had or any uh, idle thought, any disgusting thought, God sees it all. And He wants to try, He wants to rip those out. He wants to try you. He wants to purify those things. He searches your heart. So think about it. As you sit here today, God is searching your heart. He's trying to see, you know, what has to go, what, what needs to happen for you to be more in love with Him. What needs to happen for you to be more successful? He's searching you, detailed, He cares about you intimately. And Solomon knew this. Solomon knew this from the very mouth of God. And how successful was he? No. Israel was forever split because of this man. We looked at him a couple months back when we were looking at biblical relationships. You guys have the same choice here today. You guys understand how intimately God is involved with you. How much he wants to be involved in your life he wants what's best for you and you guys have a decision to make you allow him to grab your heart and direct your paths or do you give into your flesh do you stick your treasure off in sports or whatever wakes you up in the morning whatever fulfills you if it's not God learn from the life of Solomon all right and then this even leads in so at the end of verse 9 it says if thou seek him he will be found of thee but if thou forsake him he will cast thee off forever so it's sort of leads into the next point of how to have success. All right, We're not going to turn to all these. Um, flip over to Romans chapter 2. Actually, we're going to go there. But if you read through, I challenge you guys tonight, um, before you guys go to bed, read through these psalms. You know, David's heart rejoiced in God. Does your heart rejoice in God? Because that's the only way that you're going to have success. That's the only way you're going to have sustainable success in the Lord is if your heart rejoices in him, if your heart rejoices in the truths truths of the Bible, if your heart rejoices in uh, getting up and reading his word, hearing from him, understanding more about him, understanding how involved he wants to be with you and allowing him to. He kept his heart filled with God, and that was his only hope. Romans 2, I probably should get there. Verse 15. Which show, oh, verse 14. Verse 13. For not the hearers of the law are just before God, but the doers of the law shall be justified. For when the Gentiles, which have not the law, do by nature the things contained in the law, these having not the law are a law unto themselves. All right, verse 15. Which show the work of the law written in their, where? Hearts. Their conscience, also bearing witness in their thoughts. And this is my favorite phrase in this verse. In their thoughts, the meanwhile accusing or else excusing one another. Every decision that you make, every circumstance that you come in front of, this is what's going on in your mind. Your heart. Your heart knows what's right and what's wrong. Your conscience up in your mind, your your being, you have a decision to make. And you can either, what does it say? Accuse it, cast it out, and say, I'm not going to do that. That goes against what the Bible says. That would not be pleasing to God. Or you excuse it. Yeah, I'll let you in. Excuse me, yeah, come on into my life. That's not a big deal. I can handle this. Every decision that you make, you have that decision. You have that choice. Are you going to accuse it? Are you going to cast it down, get rid of it, knowing that it violates your conscience, knowing that it violates the law of God? Or are you going to excuse it and allow it in? And the only way that you can do the right thing sustainably is if God's got control of your heart. If you're obeying that law that's written in your heart and you're obeying the law that's written in this book. If he's your motivation, you can only do good, and I can tell you from experience, you can only do good for yourself for so long, and then it burns out. And then you end up falling further deep, deeper into sin than when when you got out of it before. It's a vicious, vicious cycle. The only way that you can have sustainable victory is through God, through Jesus Christ, letting him be your motivation. All right, and then lastly, we're going to spend a little bit of time on some biblical examples. So flip over to 1 Samuel. We're going to look at David. 1 Samuel, chapter 13. We're very familiar with Sam, or Samuel, David. But I want to look at the contrast between him and Jonah. From 1 Samuel chapter 13, verse 14. Yeah. But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own what? Heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people. Because thou hast kept because thou hast not kept that which the Lord commanded thee. God is desiring people that are after his own heart. How do you learn about God's heart? How do you become a man or woman after God's own heart? Reading the Bible. Reading God's heart, reading God's mind. We overcomplicate it sometimes, or at least I do. And I think it's a list of do's and don'ts. It's a matter of understanding who God is and what he wants for you. Flip over to First Samuel chapter 16. God wants people, and I love how Pastor Tom said on Sunday, he wants people that he can, just, he can control willingly, that people will allow him to control. And it's about having a heart after his heart. Verse 7, again, familiar verse. But the Lord said unto Samuel, well, let's look at, yeah, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, look not on his countenance. It's very easy for us to look on people's countenances and see how they look even hear what they talk, or on the height of his stature, because I have refused him. That is not important for God. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth. For man looketh on the outward appearance, but the Lord looketh on the heart. And in the end, who does God select? Verse 13. Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brethren, brethren, and the spirit of the Lord came upon David from that day forward. So Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. God's looking for people... Understand, if you want to be a part of this, if you want to be a part of the work of the Lord, he's looking for somebody who has a heart after his own heart. He's looking for somebody who's doing these things, not for show, not for your youth leaders, not for your parents, but for God. He's looking for people that through thick and thin he can throw out in the battle lines and they're not going to disappoint. Yes, we're going to make mistakes. Yes, we're sinners. David made one of the biggest sins that... You know, we we quote from the Bible as sin with Bathsheba, and it cost him dearly. God still used him. He had a repentant heart. That's what set David apart from our next example, Jonah. You guys are familiar with Acts 13 where it talks about David being a man after God's own heart. Let that be your drive. Let that be your motivation. But let's look at Jonah. Flip over to Jonah chapter 2. Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk. Thank you, OT class, or I would not know it like that. That was a convicting class, I'll tell you. So Jonah. Yeah, we got time. I want to read through. So you guys are familiar with chapter 1 in Jonah, correct? Can somebody summarize? What happens in chapter 1? Noah. God says go, Jonah doesn't go. So what happens? He runs. And? Jumps off because there's a big storm, and then then what happens? Whale Whale or a fish? Yes, yes, Yes. that's a whole nother, that's a fun study. He gets swallowed up. Okay, so verse 2, where is Jonah? Verse 2, that was dumb. Chapter 2, he's in the whale or the fish, yeah, or yeah, 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 verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly and said, I cried by reason of mine affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the belly of hell (laughs) cried I, and thou heardest my voice. For thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compassed me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight. Yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped about my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet hast thou brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. When my soul fainted within me, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came in unto thee, into thine holy temple. They that observe lying vanities forsake their own mercy, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I have vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. And the Lord spake unto the fish, and it vomited out Jonah upon the dry land. Sounds like a pretty sweet chapter, right? I mean, he's he's talking with God. He's saying, look, I understand where I'm at. I'm I'm taking on too much more than I can bear. I will do what you've called me to do. Salvation is of the Lord. He's praising God. He's talking to God. But what's missing? Remember, what separates Jonah in this example from David. For when David did wrong, he repented. he repented. You see any repentance in here from Jonah? I'll be honest, I have a hard time seeing a change of heart. It's him understanding, look, I need to do what God called me to do. And then look over at chapter 3, verse 10. So he goes into Nineveh and he preaches those eight famous words and it's a mass revival. Verse 10. And God saw their works, these people of Nineveh, that they turned from their evil way. Remember, they had judgment coming. And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them. And he did it not. Isn't that awesome? Jonah goes in, he gives them this little short message, and bam, he takes it away. He's like, you know what? They turned, they repented. I'm, I'm repenting, I'm taking away that evil that I was going to do unto them. If you were Jonah, I mean, what? what that would be the easiest eight words you ever spoke. Easiest souls you ever got converted. What would your reaction be? Oh, like this? Come on. I'm going to call you all Jonah. Say, you'd be pretty excited, wouldn't you? I mean, these people are going to be in heaven. We're going to be able to have conversations with these people because of the work that Jonah did. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly. What? And he was very angry. And he prayed unto the Lord, very different prayer than chapter 2, and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying, I told you, God? When I was yet in my country, therefore I fled before unto Tarshish, for I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger. I knew that about you, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil." Therefore now, O Lord, take, I beseech thee, my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. How ridiculous. He sees all these people get saved. The Lord do this awesome work of repenting this evil, taking the evil away from them. And that's his heart. So I want you to think through these things, okay? Very weird circumstance, completely different than David. Whole different man, different heart. But why did Jonah end up doing what God wanted? I mean, you look at this and you're like, why did you even go in the first place? And I want you to think about that. Why? Why did he go if he didn't want results? You know, doing anything with the wrong motive is the root of a plethora of sin issues hatred, anger, bitterness, envy. When you do things with the wrong motives, you're expecting something. This is what happens when you don't see what God sees. When he's not your motivation. He was not Jonah's motivation. And this principle can be applied everywhere. And think of ministry. You know, I could ask anybody that leads a ministry. If they did this for the people and not God, how long would you last in ministry? How long would you last in ministries? Stephen, if you did it for the people and not for god maybe a couple months you get pretty you get burnt out pretty quick pretty frustrated yeah. you know and, and don't take this the wrong way we we love you guys we want what's best for you we want the, we pray that we want the same things for you that god wants for you but you're not the reason we're here god's the reason that we're here god loves you guys we want what's best for you we love you guys and God loves you guys. We want to give you what God has said. You remove God from this equation, we don't have a church. We don't have a heart for ministry. I think a marriage. You know, if I didn't if I didn't try and pray to God to model my role as a husband after God, I'd be setting her up for failure every single day. I'd be doing everything with, with hidden motives. How can I get what I want out of this marriage? Not... How can I paint our marriage in the best picture of salvation possible? And parenting. And work. Do you guys go into work with the mindset of how can I be the best testimony? How can I be the best light for Jesus? Even sports, any you know, these things that, you know, Baptists can say we shouldn't do any of this, 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 and this. No, you can do those things. Make sure God's got a piece of them. Make sure your motivation is how can I shine? Let your light so shine. When you do things with the wrong motives, even doing things like Jonah that are good, my theory is that Jonah just did it because he wanted to get out of God's bad tunnel, God's doghouse, if you will. He's like, I'll do the bare minimum. Went in, spoke eight words, and left. He's like, are you serious? He's like, I did the bare minimum, and they still got saved. I and mean, what a wretched heart. I want to add something. Yeah. I've seen people go on missions trips. And have come back, and it's made their life worse. Hmm. And it's just one of those things that as you as you kind of think about it, Jonah, you know, he served God, but now he's in the situation where he's he's probably in a worse spot. And imagine he even wrote this book. Like <laughs> I told him, write this down, this is gonna be in my Bible. How embarrassing Jonah <laughs> write this down. But I think about that with. Vacation Bible School coming up for you guys. I think about that with camp. I think about that with the Mexico Mission trip that's coming up. And some of you have this testimony that coming out of camp, your life is now worse because you didn't go to camp and you didn't make commitments with the right heart attitude. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because even one of my points, when you're looking for what you can get out of it, It will never satisfy, and it will lead to a Jonah-like reaction. Wild, displeasing God. Yeah, that's great. Preparing your heart for camp. Looking for what God can do. A lot of times, you know, it's a struggle of, you know, I'm going to enjoy camp, or I'm going to be on this mountaintop experience, and you lose sight of what does God really want for me out of this? What does God have for me? A lot of prayer needs to go into that, especially with Mexico and camp and BBS coming up. Now, thank you. In closing, I want you guys to flip your paper back over. So with everything that we just looked at, I want you guys to look at your list and then answer this question. Do the choices you make each day reflect a love for God or for yourself? Again, it's, I don't expect you guys to have from sun up to sundown reading your Bible. You know, we, we, ha- we have to live in this world. There's things that we just have to do. But do the decisions you make, do the choices you make each day reflect a love for God or for yourself? Do you see a lot of things on there that are pleasing to you that God is not a part of? I always go back to that example that Stephen used at church camp a couple years back. You know, Jesus is in your, in your, in your mind, but which closets, which rooms are you not letting him in? Which part of your day, which activity, whatever you have going on, are you not letting him be a part of, that he needs to be a part of, that you're doing for you, not for God? Everything we do in this world, we have an opportunity to bring God glory. And if you don't, you probably shouldn't be doing it. It's a good little litmus test. And lastly, I love this uh, this quote by David Brainerd, fascinating missionary, died at the age of 29, I believe. Went through a lot of trials, a lot of hard stuff, a lot of lonesome. But a man, he had a relationship with God that we can only desire to have. Worldly pleasures such as, flow from, such as flow from greatness, riches, honors, and sensual gratifications are infinitely worse than none. If God is enough for you, that statement can be said about you. When you're seeking these things, when you're seeking greatness and riches and honors, it's very hard to let God be your motivation. I was having a conversation with uh, Ethan, my disciple tonight. And his, uh, I'm sure you guys are familiar, his uncle is the offensive coordinator for the New England Patriots. And we were looking at a verse in 1 Timothy, uh, I think it was 1 Timothy 1, 7, where it talks about, you know, all these, everything. we bring nothing into this world or everything that we have, we can't take it with us, is what the context is. He's like, it's funny, Bobby. You know, they have everything. They have a name. They have a legacy that they're going to live. But he's like, I've really never met more miserable people. It would be better for them to be homeless, seeking an answer than to have everything that that this world has to offer. So I want to challenge you guys. If you're being fulfilled by any of these things and not God, check your heart. Give that to God. Be honest with God. Say, God, I'm really struggling. I enjoy this more than I enjoy you, and I need help. God appreciates honesty. Don't try and hide it. Again, everything's naked and open before God. He already knows, but he ponders our hearts. He wants to hear those things from us. Just like parents want to hear that from their child. God wants to hear that from us, his dear children. All right, let's pray. Dear God, you know, personally for me, this is a very hard message for me to work through. I fail at this miserably every day. And you know that my flesh has desires and Satan throws things at me and this world does a great job of distracting me, God. And this is something that I have to give at your feet every single morning. And God, I pray that we wouldn't let Satan or the world or our flesh have victory over these things. God, you've done so much for us. You love us when we mock you with our actions, when we act like we don't even know you with the places that we go or the things that we say, and you still love us, God. God, you've done more than enough to deserve to be our motivation. So I pray that that this message, that uh, the words we heard from you, from your Bible, God, that they would change our heart. Our heart is... Desperately wicked, God, it wants to please itself. It wants to please our flesh. God, I pray that we would be walking miracles that prove that to be false in our lives. So, God, I pray that uh, there's people in here that they're just not letting you be a part of certain areas of their day uh, or areas of their lives, Lord, that they would open those doors up tonight. They would let you come in, that they would let you take full control of them, God, and that they would trust that you want what's best for them. You try our hearts not to make us pained, not to hurt us, not to make us depressed, Lord, but to bring us further along so that you can do more through us. God, and who doesn't want that? What a privilege. God, you're an awesome awesome father, um, one that we, again, don't deserve, God. But we thank you for your love. Thank you for a book that guides us um, in every matter of life, Lord. Um, We love you. We pray for this ministry, uh, for the pastors of this church, God, that you would uh, control their hearts. You would give them clear uh, discretion uh, for the direction of this church, of your church, God. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.